0: This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio.
1: Friday edition of the PFT PM Podcast. Sorry, didn't do one Wednesday or Thursday. Sorry. All I can say is sorry. Don't have to mean it. I can just say it. During the season, it's a little more hectic. During the season, I got a lot of things going on. And there's been such an explosion in traffic this month. We are on pace to be up 30% in page views. September 2018 versus September of 2017, and frankly, look, I got to dance with the one that brung me, especially when the one that brung me is still paying me. This little side endeavor, it doesn't pay me. We've had some dribs and drabs, but the bottom line is the audience of the PFTPM podcast has not grown to the point where it justifies the revenue. It just hasn't, and I don't know why that is. I've tried everything I can. We've had some great interviews. I'm not speaking in whatever tense it would be that suggests this is the last show. It's not, I'm just telling you why I haven't done it as much once the season's going. Once the season's going, cranking out written content, being ready for the show every morning, doing compelling and interesting video content, and getting rest, frankly, are the main priorities because it's a grind. It's the five hours of sleep every night, the one hour nap, if I can get that much during the day. And on Friday and Saturday night, that's when I try to get eight hours because Sunday night is five hours. If I'm lucky Monday night, four and a half, five hours, if I'm lucky. And Sundays are just really, really long days. So, and I'm not making excuses. I'm just telling you during the season, it's harder to do something that doesn't pay me. I have less time to do things that don't pay me. So we're going to keep doing it. I like doing it. There just may not be as many during the season as there were in the offseason because there's too much other stuff that's going on. The purpose of today's PFTPM podcast to get you ready for all the stuff that's going to happen this weekend. Week three. And I just want to say this about last night's game. I understand that Hugh Jackson probably didn't want to inform Tyrod Taylor through a post-game press conference that he had lost his job to Baker Mayfield. But this nonsense that Hugh Jackson has to watch film, really? Just say, now's not the time to talk about the next game. We'll talk about the next game tomorrow. For tonight, this is about Cleveland enjoying a victory that has been 635 days in the making. And hopefully, this needle in the haystack becomes a haystack full of needles. In the not too distant future. Period. Worry about announcing a starter later. If it's not Baker Mayfield, there will be a revolt in Cleveland, and there should be. That doesn't mean Baker Mayfield is going to go 10 and 0. Doesn't mean he's going to be any better than what the Browns are accustomed to. But there's something about this kid. Anybody with any sense sees it, and we can get caught up in analytics statistics, passer rating, QBR, whatever metrics somebody wants to come up with, advanced, next gen. Football is fundamentally 11 on 11. And if one of those 11 is capable of lifting the attitude and the play of the other 10, there's something special there. And you can't measure that. You can't chart that. There is a fundamental difference when Baker Mayfield is on the field, and we saw it last night. Tyrod Taylor seemed like a guy who was running in mud. Baker Mayfield came out, and there was a zip. There was a pop. There was a pow. There was a bang. He put that ball into Jarvis Landry on one play where it clanged off of his shoulder pads. He couldn't get his hands up fast enough. He dropped that one in on Antonio Callaway. The Callaway then dropped. So, Mayfield needs to be the starter, and I'd be shocked if they revert to their original plan. Although Peter King on PFT Live today, he said the Browns need to do it. They need to put Baker Mayfield back in bubble wrap, get him ready for next year. I just think in an entertainment business where you want fans to part with their time and their money, and they've been suffering, and it looks like you may have something, play the kid. Play the kid. I don't buy the idea that he's going to be worse for the wear next year. I think he's going to be better for it. I, actually, I think it's not going to matter. I think whether he sits this year, whether he doesn't sit this year, he's going to be the same guy next year that he would have otherwise been. All right, the West, or rest as the case may be, of week three. Went a little over there on you. The rest of week three. Let's just rip through these with a quick thought on each game and who I like. If I can remember who my official picks were, I don't have my picks up. I think I can remember who I picked. Saints-Falcons, I like the home game, home team in this game because the Falcons, number one, they showed me something against the Panthers last weekend. The Saints haven't shown me much. I think they're missing Mark Ingram in that offense. Julio Jones is off the injury report, which is good news for the Falcons and the falcons understand the importance of beating the saints at home if they lose this one then they put all their eggs in the basket for the thanksgiving night game against the saints in new orleans and even though the saints home field advantage hasn't been as potent as it's been in past years you don't want to have to go to new orleans and win there on thanksgiving night to get a to get a one and one split and avoid a sweep and if you get swept by a division rival it makes it so much harder to pull off a division title because you have to make up three games in your other 14 if you're going to pull that off and right now these two teams are one and one each and this is a big swing game winner is going to be two and one loser is going to be one and two and the winner is going to have the edge in that head-to-head series i like the falcons in that one denver and baltimore i really like baltimore in this one given five and a half it was one of my best bets from that pft video that we do michael david smith and i the Broncos are 2-0, and oh, and they could easily be 0-2. Oh Case Keenum has four interceptions in two games. Last year, he had seven interceptions for the whole season. And he's going back to the place where he got... And I don't know how much of this is a factor, but I'm intrigued by the fact that he's going back to the place where he got hit, and he was left in the game. Remember that when he was playing for the Rams? Rams-Ravens, November 2015, I believe it was. That Baltimore defense is going to be a force. And it's going to be better than any defense that he's seen this year. And this is the first road game for the Broncos. I really like the Ravens in that game. Panthers, Bengals, Panthers are very good at home. Very good at home. And if they get off to a quick start, they're hard to beat. Cam Newton rides the roller coaster. If he gets off to a great start, off he goes. Slow start, he kind of, I don't want to say checks out, but sometimes his demeanor suggests that he realizes it's not his day. I'm not ruling out a Bengals win, but I like the Panthers at home. I don't think the Bengals are as good as 2-0 would suggest, although they're not as bad as many thought they would be. Giants, Texans, both un... Not undefeated. Both of them defeated. Both of them without a win. Both of them 0-2, and the Texans really need this one. Man, Some people thought the Giants were going to be dramatically better this year. I didn't. Chris Sims didn't until he looked at their schedule, and he thought, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, no turnaround this year. But the Texans really need this one. They've got the longest losing streak now in the NFL. I think it's nine games. Eight or nine games. I think it's nine. I like the Texans in that one. Titans-Jaguars. Last year, the Titans swept the Jaguars. And, and I saw a story this week. The Jaguars want revenge or something like that. They, look, it's not revenge when somebody does their job and they win a football game. What are they supposed to do? Lay down? You're only seeking revenge when they go above and beyond what they're supposed to do. You know, when they stomp on your leg or throw eggs at your bus, when they do something beyond what is accepted, that's when you start talking about revenge. It's not revenge. Jaguars blew it twice last year against the Titans. They're going to try not to blow it this year. Chiefs are going to try not to blow it at home. Patrick Mahomes is 3-0 as a starter. He's yet to start a home game. And he told me last week after the win over the Steelers, he's never played in a louder venue. He's not going to be dealing with noise this week. And this is going to be a tough test for Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo really hasn't had a signature road win. The closest thing to it would have been week one, 2016, when he got the start for the Patriots against the Cardinals. Right? The Patriots, they they won that game, right? I think it was like there was like a missed field goal late or, or some fluky thing. It ended up being a close game. I'm multitasking here. Google, Cardinals, Patriots, 2016, 23 to 21. That was the final score. And uh, I think there was like a missed field goal at the end by the Cardinals or something like that. September 11, 2016. And uh, I'm looking for a quick summary here. And uh, obviously, I'm not finding one. I'm not finding one. There was, I remember now, there was a story in the aftermath of that, that, that that game, when the when the Cardinals lost that game, it, like, ruined their season. And I think it was a missed field goal. I don't know. I'll look it up afterward, and uh, feel free to do the same. Next game on the docket. And, I, oh, by the way, I like the Chiefs in that one. I like them to cover six and a half is the the last line that I saw. Dolphins, Raiders. This feels like a, an adjustment a correction type game because the Raiders shouldn't be 0-2 and, and the Dolphins shouldn't be 2-0, and 0, that kind of loose logic that springs up from time to time. And we've seen it before when trends are going in two different directions and then it, it, it fixes itself. I, I still like the Dolphins in this one. I, I think the Raiders aren't as good as we let ourselves think they are because of the presence of John Gruden. I think that we believe they're better than their talent would suggest. It hurts them badly to not have Khalil Mack. It's like every time John Gruden lets himself talk about Khalil Mack, he says something that makes it even more glaring that he's not with the team anymore. Remember this week he said, it's hard to find pass rushers. Yes, it is. It's very hard. It's especially harder to find pass rushers when you have one and you give them away. When you have a lottery ticket, that's a winner and you trade it in for two unscratched lottery tickets. Makes it hard to find a great pass rusher. And he was lamenting how college isn't producing great pass rushers. You're right, John. All the more reason to keep one when you have one. So I like the Dolphins. Vikings-Bills, one of my best bets for the week. The Vikings, I don't think cover. They're giving 16 and a half. Now that may have changed now that Dalvin Cook and Everson Griffin are out, but I think the Vikings were a little too obsessed with the aftermath of the Packers game. They were too distracted by getting rid of their kicker and adding Aldrick Robinson because Laquan Treadwell can't catch consistently or very much at all. And they've got that short week with the Rams coming up in L.A. I think they just assume one of the worst teams in the NFL is going to come into U.S. Bank Stadium and the Vikings are going to win easily. I think they're going to win, but I don't think it's going to be easy. I don't think it's going to be a 17-point margin, especially without Dalvin Cook and Everson Griffin. So Vikings should move to 2-0-1. Bills should move to 0-3. But I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be you know, a 10-13 to 13 point margin. Colts and Eagles, fascinating game to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, the game features a pair of quarterbacks who have worked their way back to full strength, but they play in a way that can get them injured again. Not that that injury is coming this week, but I think you have to hold your breath with Andrew Luck and Carson Wentz every time they play because they don't seem to be inclined to change the way that they play. It's a reunion for Frank Reich and Doug Peterson, Remember, Reich was the guy who wasn't even on the radar screen to be a coach anywhere. Josh McDaniel stiffs the Colts, enter Frank Reich, and off they go. And now they get together again. So you've got two of these games now, this weekend. Both Super Bowl participants from last year. A former assistant matching wits with his mentor, Tony Dungy was on PFC Live today and he said when he was in that situation, he always preferred to be the former employee taking on the former employer instead of the employer taking on the employee because you have nothing to gain when you are the master and the former lieutenant is coming in. When you're the guy who is taking on your former boss, you got nothing to lose. You're not supposed to win. So... Frank Wright gets a chance to to out-duel the Eagles. And he'll know that Jim Schwartz defense. He'll know it well. I still like the Eagles. But, you know, they don't have a lot of weapons right now. I'm surprised they didn't go after Josh Gordon. A little surprised. Maybe they should play Nick Foles at receiver. I don't really mean that. But I don't know. (laughs) It may not be so crazy to think about that when you consider that they don't have a whole lot of weapons right now. At that position, Mike Wallace is on IR. Alshon Jeffrey's still not ready to go. Jordan Matthews is back. I, I like the Eagles in that one. I, I don't. I, I. wouldn't be shocked if the Colts win it, but I like the Eagles. Green Bay, Washington. I can't believe Green Bay's a three-point favorite. It should be seven. should be eight. Washington's going to have 20,000 no-shows unless it's cheeseheads who fill those seats, which is even worse. The fans who were there last week booing the home team. They picked up Brashad Perryman and Michael Floyd off the scrap heap this week. They, they just weren't able to get anything going last week. And, and Alex Smith talking about throwing the ball down the field. I mean, 13 years after he got drafted, he kind of is who he is. It would be odd for him to have some sort of epiphany where all of a sudden he's like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't check down all the time. I like the Packers big, big in that one. Rams, Chargers, the fight for L.A., And you know what? Every once in a while, you got to go against the chalk. Every once in a while, you got to not just say that the underdog's going to cover. You got to say the underdog's going to win. There's something about this game where I like the Chargers. Now, watch, they'll lose 42 to three. I like the Chargers in this one. I think the Chargers are sick of hearing about the Rams. You know, like that kid in school that the teachers are always saying, oh, he's so great and he wins every prize and everybody's talking about him and he's Mr. Popularity and he has this and he has that. You finally get a chance to compete with him in some setting, you're extra motivated. You want to take down the kid who has everything. In LA, the Rams have everything. The Chargers have a soccer stadium that they play in and they're eventually going to be the tenants. They're going to be the the boarders in a house that they didn't build. And they're only going to play once every four years. Go all out for this one. I just think this one means so much more to the Chargers than it means to the Rams. And that would be great. That would make the rematch in four years even more compelling if the Chargers win. The next time they play, they'll be playing in the stadium they share. And that one will be a home game for the Chargers, which will give the Rams nine home games that year, as a practical matter. I, I just like the They're getting seven. I like them straight up. I really do. Bears, Cardinals, poor Cardinals. Poor Cardinals. The only thing I can say about this game is it reminds me of Denny Green's meltdown from 2006 when the Bears were the Super Bowl representative eventually. They were the team that everybody thought was so great in the NFC. The Cardinals had them beaten, and they blew it. The Bears are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. I'd say the Cardinals are who we thought they were, and they've been outscored 58-6. to 6. And it's only going to get worse. And why don't you put in Josh Rosen? Stat of the week. Or at least the stat of the moment. Sam Bradford last week threw 27 passes for 90 yards. That's an average of 3.3 yards per pass. Just run the ball. Just run a single wing. Cowboys, Seahawks, desperation time for the Seahawks. 0-2. They need this one badly. They blow this one and they're done. It's too early to say they're done. They blow this one and they're done. I believe. And uh, who knows? Short week coming back from Chicago. Brian Schottenheimer told reporters on Thursday he needs to do a better job. He had a comment about too many voices in his head, like he's hearing too much from Pete Carroll, except when it's third and 22 from the one, then everybody's like, hey, so what are you going to do here? So I think they're, they're getting the feel for each other, and it's a work in progress, and I think they'll make it better. Pete Carroll has an established and impressive body of work, and I think this team will get better as time goes by. I like the Seahawks on Sunday, primarily because they're going to be desperate and it's their home opener. Lions-Patriots, I'm tempted to say that Matt Patricia may have something up his sleeve for Bill Belichick, but I just don't think he's got the talent. I think his demeanor that Monday night against the Jets told me, his team's just not ready yet. They're not good enough. I know what I want to do, but until I get the players that I need to do what I want them to do, we're not going to be able to do all that much. I like the Patriots in that one. Could get ugly. Let's hold off on Monday night. We'll be talking about Monday night. I got a, I got a lean. I got an inclination. I've made a pick already. But uh, let's get through Sunday. Because now I want to get to some... Questions, i got to wrap this up today because tonight is a celebration. You may have noticed on Twitter, my in-law's 60th wedding anniversary was yesterday. Yesterday was also my dad's birthday. He'd have been 97. My dad was 44 when I was born, 43 or 44. Would have been 43 turned 44. And now, you know, think about that. Back in the mid-60s, usually you were a grandpa by the time you were 44. So, uh, unusual to say the least given the, the era But, uh, yeah, it would have been 97. And, you know, he died in 1998 in July. And he was 76 at the time. And, you know, for like 10 years after that, I thought, well, he could still be around. He could still be around. He could still be around. And, hey, I mean, there's no way he'd be around now. I don't know that that makes it any better. You still miss them. I mean, I think if your parents live to 100 when they die, you still miss them. But, uh, but yeah. 76 years old, died mid-July 1998, 20 years ago, just like that. My mom, it'll be 23 years ago next month. She was 62. So she was younger than my dad. But uh, now that, my mom would still, my mom would be 85. So I still, you know, two decades later, you still have that. It's kind of anger. I don't know what it is. It's, it's just this nagging sense that the person should still be here. You know? I mean, she never knew my son. I, she probably, probably would have drop-kicked me across the parking lot based upon some of the professional decisions I've made. But, uh, yeah, it, she should still be here. And, and to the folks who are blessed to have their parents in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, I, I don't... I'm not jealous. I don't envy that. I I mean, it's not in a negative, oh, look at them. They still have their parents. Look at them, how fancy. Still have their parents around. Good for you. I just say, hey, you should be very happy and very appreciative and cherish the time you have. Because there are plenty of people out there that would give a lot just for five more minutes. All right, on that happy note, let's let's answer some. There's really no good segue out of that uh, morass. Um, yeah, these things are like emotionally draining for me too. Maybe that's why I don't do them that often during the season. I got all the emotional draining that I need. All right, let's uh, let's answer some questions here from the PFTPM posse. Hopefully, there aren't a hundred of them. Twenty-seven. We'll scroll through them and then move on. All right. PFTPM Posse passing along a question from OG Tom G post. Should the bills be doing anything differently with how they're handling LaShawn McCoy? How pissed off should Zeke the Cowboys and Cowboys nation be at the way this is being handled versus the way Zeke's case was handled? Look, I, I don't want to assume that LaShawn McCoy is guilty. All I know is this, if it's true that someone invaded the home owned by LaShawn McCoy, and stole jewelry that was purchased by McCoy for Delicia Corden, who was living there, at a time when McCoy was trying to use the legal system to get her evicted. If it's true that that happened, and oh, by the way, she was viciously beaten. If it's true that that happened, and it was only jewelry that was stolen that McCoy had purchased for Corden, in a house that McCoy owns, at a time when McCoy is using the legal processes to try to get her out of the house, that is either one hell of a coincidence, or McCoy was in on it. And it astounds me that the league did not swoop in with the same zeal that we have seen it use against others. Because I think it would have been very easy. And I don't know what the league did, because they're not going to be transparent about this. But I think you immediately mobilize, and you send investigators to McCoy, and you say, I want your phone, I want your email, I want everything. Because if there is a digital paper trail of communications with someone If there was someone that was put up to going in there and doing this, a lot of people who violate the law are not criminal masterminds who cover every single track. And I think if they would have been very aggressive early on, they would have either been able to conclusively rule out there's just absolutely nothing here, this guy's clean, or they would have found something. Delicia Corden is very motivated. She believes that McCoy was involved and the affidavit that was filed this week by the mother of McCoy's child that creates questions and you know here's the problem if the local district attorney isn't feeling it and if the NFL isn't feeling it then nothing comes of it and i think the NFL may be thinking you know what we don't want another one of these right we had our overreaction in the wake of Ray Rice. And this is one that it's in a gray area, and maybe it's better just leave it alone. Maybe we make bigger PR messes for ourselves by being too vigilant, by being too zealous, by trying too hard to throw the book at somebody. And it gets back to the point that I've made. I hate to be overly cynical here, but it gets back to the point that I've made as it relates to the apparent reality that players under the substance abuse policy are getting the benefit of the doubt now very quietly but but very palpably from the NFL. Maybe they look at this and say, hey, LeSean McCoy is one of the best running backs in the NFL. Unless we have to do something, why are we going to do it? Why should we do it? It's four years removed from Ray Rice. See, if you have another Ray Rice where there's videotape of a player viciously assaulting someone else, male or female, that puts it back on the, the top of the stack from a PR standpoint. I think that there is a conscious effort now by the league to not be in the middle of all this business. Because that drags down the league. Some people think, all oh, the league loves it because we're talking about the NFL. I think they realize, even though it's attention, and some would say any attention is good attention, I think they just want to focus on football. And they don't want to have these outside skirmishes. And maybe that was part of the deal that was done to get Jerry Jones to stand down last year. Because that's what he was pissed about, among other things. He was pissed about the fact that the NFL, for whatever reason, feels compelled to have this in-house justice system that is imperfect. But based upon past precedent, I look at LeSean McCoy's case and I say, damn, I can't believe they're not doing more. Because there's enough there to get your antenna, to get your crap filter, I I kind of feel the same way about this as I felt about Mike Vick back in 2007. That if you scratch this hard enough, that you're going to find something. I just feel like if they did that, they would. But for whatever reason, they've chosen not to do it. Because I think they don't want to be going down these rabbit holes because it ultimately makes the NFL look bad. PFTP and Posse via... Dean Osborne, 42, let's get this straight. Bill Belichick, who is the king of the do-your-job mantra, all but refuses to be courteous and respectful to the media members who are just doing their jobs, even though it's a major part of his job, just saying. Yeah, I, I was riled up about that the other day when he was just playing games with reporters who were trying to get to the bottom of the Josh Gordon trade. Bill Belichick wouldn't talk about Josh Gordon because the trade wasn't finalized, but he wouldn't say why it wasn't finalized. And I've been trying to get a straight answer, I've communicated with the Browns. I've communicated with the Patriots. I've communicated with the league office. And eventually, I'm going to write up my findings. But I believe what happened was, I don't know this yet, but I believe that the Patriots did a deal with the Browns on Monday for Josh Gordon, and in exchange, the Browns get a fifth-round pick in 2019, and the Patriots get a seventh-round pick if Josh Gordon does not play in 10 games this year. It was a conditional seventh round pick. That's how it was announced by the league. Conditional seventh rounder. And then, two days go by, there was speculation that he didn't pass his physical. He was showing up on the roster. The deal was announced. But Belichick was saying at his press conference, there's still more to be done. I think the Patriots said to the Browns, you know what? We've had a chance to think about this. We don't want this guy. We're going to fail as physical if you don't just give us a straight seven. Yeah, we think you should give us a straight seven. And I think the Browns said, you know what? Why do we want to fight? We don't want this guy reverting to our roster. We don't want to deal with this guy. All right, we'll just give you the straight seven and be done with it. They were going to cut him. So anything they get is a bonus. I think that's their attitude. And now that they've won a game, hell, who cares? Take take the five back, too. Take the seven and the five. We're just happy we found our quarterback. PFTP on posse with Earl Thomas openly wanted to play for the Cowboys. And with Dallas and Seattle this week, is there any reason to pay closer attention? A trade would obviously only happen after they play, right? Would 0-3 Seattle trade him? Maybe. Maybe they just let him go home with the Cowboys. Last time they played the Cowboys, he followed Jason Garrett to the locker room. Maybe he just follows him all the way in and gets on the bus and goes back to Dallas. At some point, if you're the Seahawks, you get what you can for Earl Thomas. I think if they lose and go 0-3, I don't know. Look, they're never going to give up. They're never going to give up. We saw that in the Bears game on Monday night. But if they go to 0-3, I think as a practical matter, they're done. Because they got to deal still with the 49ers twice, the Rams twice. Tough schedule this year. They play all the NFC North teams. They played the Bears. They still have the Vikings and Packers. Not an easy year. And the AFC West teams. The Broncos, who they've already lost to. The Raiders, the Chiefs, and the Chargers. Not an easy schedule this year. For the Seahawks. Tyler Fornes, aka the real forno is Hugh being strategic by not naming Baker the starter his entire football career he has played with a massive chip on his shoulder Could Hugh be smart enough to have it work here? No. next question. I'm not going to assume that a guy who's 232 and one is operating on a next level. Win more games and then I'll start to think this guy's like a secret genius that sandbagged us for two years and and when we least expected it he unfurled his abilities. Paul, PJ, five, is this the funnest start to an NFL season in years? We always get caught up in the moment, but I've had fun this year. And when you look at the teams at the top of the power rankings, Jaguars, number one, they've never been number one on the PFT power rankings, Rams, number two, Chiefs, number three, Bucks number four, or maybe it's Bucks number three, Chiefs, number four. Either way, it's a fun year. I don't like the, the ties. I really don't like the ties. But boy, last night's game was great. I was up till two last night. You know, when there's a good game in primetime, I can't go to bed. Even though if I, I know I got to get up. I was operating on like two and a half, three hours of sleep. I took a little nap today. Dog jumped on the bed and woke me up. Damn dog! That dog's huge now too. When that dog jumps on something, you got to hope that there's no limb that lands in a sensitive area. That dog can do some damage now. She's got to be north of fifty. On Tour Forever, any word on the PFTP and Posse t-shirts, hashtag out of clean clothes? I got to check with my nephew. He lives up in the New York area. We're going to get together for dinner soon. He sent me some mock-ups that were kind of like 60s-themed and 70s-themed and 80s-themed and 90s-themed. I got to look at those again and figure out what we can do. It's hard during the season, though. On Tour Forever, what do you think about the conspiracy theory that Tyrod Taylor won't recover his from concussion, making it easier for Hugh to start Mayfield this week? seems more likely than not. I mean, you can play that 100% game and then just go back to Tyrod Taylor and say we're not benching Baker Mayfield. We're just going back to our original plan. I see some value in that. I'm still very disinclined to give Hugh the benefit of the doubt when it comes to anything smart and strategic. But that would be the smart way to do it. You know what? It doesn't matter whether or not we're going to make Baker the starter because Hugh, uh, Tyrod can't play. And when Tyrod's 100%, that's when he'll, he'll play. The, the thing is, though... A concussion is not like an orthopedic injury. It's a lot easier to say, you know, if a guy's got a knee problem, if a guy's got an elbow, a shoulder, whatever, well, when he's 100% he'll play, he's not 100%. And then he's 100% when the other guy all of a sudden isn't isn't getting it done. On tour forever, do you think Pittsburgh will completely implode if they lose to Tampa on Monday? Seems, seems like that's a powder keg about to be lit. You know, I, I don't know. I'd pick the Bucks to win, and I have a feeling by Monday I'm going to feel the other way. I feel like the Steelers have their backs to the wall. And, and they're going to channel all this dysfunction in a positive way. I think Monday night's game could be really, really good. But you know, it, it reminds me of the on to Cincinnati game after the Patriots got blown out by the Chiefs, and the, and the Steelers didn't get blown out at home. It felt worse than it did because they were down 21 nothing. But I, I don't know. I'm starting to. I'm I'm starting to think maybe the Steelers are going to find a way to put it together. Matt when Bell decides he wants to sign his franchise tag, is it possible for the Steelers to rescind it before he can physically do so? Would that mean he's then free to sign with whoever and the Steelers would get no compensation? All he has to do is accept the franchise tender. He doesn't have to sign it. So it's not a race to the piece of paper where like he's trying to sign it and they're trying to tear it up and eat it before he can sign it. All he has to do is accept it. I learned that with Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry didn't sign it initially. He accepted it. So it's just an email. I accept the franchise tender. They can rescind it any before he accepts it. If they rescind it, he immediately becomes a free agent, free to sign with any other team. And I think he could still sign with the Steelers. Not that he would. So, look, we're into week three. There's no indication he's going to show up for Monday night's game. We're not even talking about him all that much. I think he's going to sit out all ten weeks, show up the Tuesday after. Ed Bouchette of the Post-Gazette raise today the possibility he sits out all year and puts the Steelers in a position where next year they could tag him again at $14.5 million, but would they do it? Or maybe they do it and trade him. That's what he has to ask himself then. Does he get more money on a long-term deal next year if the Steelers tag and trade him versus showing up for the last seven games of the season and exposing himself to the risk of injury? So you get your best payday if you hit the open market. Your next best payday comes if you get traded out from under the franchise tag. But here's the question. Would the Steelers simply out of spite squat on him next year? Just to squat on him. Would they do that? And say, hey, show up when you show up. 14.54 million. Because that's what it does. If he doesn't show up before the Tuesday after week 10, his contract and the Steelers' rights to his contract get kicked over to next year. And if he doesn't show up next year, by the Tuesday before week 10, or after week 10, kicks back, another year. Until there's someone else they want to tag because you only have one tag. But they can continue to use that tag indefinitely if Le'Veon Bell doesn't show up. At the Real 4-0 is Denzel Ward's play the first three weeks starting to justify his selection over Bradley Chubb? I'd say yes. I'd say yes. But you know what? They could use Chubb because Emmanuel Ogba's been injured. But I think yes so far. Recliner QB, with gambling legalized across the country, does that change any of the NFL's rules on gambling? Are they still allowed to prohibit or limit gambling casino-related activities? I think that's all a work in progress for the NFL, and one criticism I'd have for the league, I think they waited too long to begin proactively thinking of the ways that they can benefit from gambling and the ways that they need to cover themselves so gambling doesn't bite them. They have some time because there's still only a handful of states that have legalized gambling, but they better get it together. They better have a plan because in-stadium, real-time wagering is coming. And there's all sorts of issues about that. Think about that. You're in the stadium, and I I don't know. Would they bet on run or pass? Think of how many people know the answer, and they could be doing the high sign to somebody up in the 10th row. And they have their handheld device there. Oh, oh, two for bad, one for good. Was it two for bad, one for good, or two for good, one for bad? And if you know what I'm talking about, that's today's test. When I say two for good, one for bad, or two for bad, one for good, what is that a reference to? And correct me, because I can't remember whether it was two for good or two for bad, or one for good or one for bad. Next question. At Steph RD I got to get my weekly review of the Dolphins. What do you think about us going in Oakland this week? First of all, it's Miami. If you go to Oakland, you're going to get a forfeit because the game's in Miami. So don't go to Oakland. And if you're planning to go to the game, don't go to Oakland. But uh, I, I like the Dolphins in this one. Uh, as, as previously mentioned, for all reasons previously mentioned, I like the Dolphins. Recliner QB, what stops a player from negotiating a new deal, purposely failing the physical so his new team doesn't lose anything of value in a trade, and then signing with them one to two weeks later, or just after he now gets cut or something like that. I mean, look, if I'm Josh Gordon, I mean, I, I Josh Gordon should have wanted to get cut. He should have wanted to get cut because he would have made more money. The Browns got value. And if a team didn't have to give up that fifth round pick, that's just more money they would have given to Josh Gordon. That's why you trade for a guy sometimes. You trade for his contract and you trade for his rights because the Patriots now have him at a rate of 790000 for the year. And after this year, they can use the restricted free agency tender if they want. Reverend Markworth how stupid are ties in the NFL? Very. Very. Just have the college rule. Because then you have the same procedures for regular season and postseason. And the games get done quicker. At John Coon, does Le'Veon Bell play for the Steelers again? You know, that would be a great prop bet. I'm starting to think no. I'm starting to think maybe he's not going to show up at all. I'm starting to think that this analysis that has caused him to miss 855 a week. Is going to extend all the way through the season. He's not going to put himself in position to be used 35 times a game. Now he could show up. See, now does this hurt him on the open market? This is a complicated analysis. If he shows up and he half-asses it, if he doesn't play in a game here or there because of a hamstring, or he says he has concussion-like symptoms, or he doesn't play all that hard. Does that affect his value? Is he better off taking the year off and having someone trade for him next year and pay him as part of the trade? How does he make more money? Tough, tough scenario. Tough question. Let's see what else we have here. Leapers 500 every year. There's a whisper that goes like, this is it. The Pats are toast. Brady looks mortal. Belichick has lost interest and then there's the Super Bowl. How will we know when the end is nigh? What signs really matter? I think losing at home in the playoffs, either not making it to the playoffs or losing on the road at home wherever in the playoffs. I mean, if the Jaguars do to them in the postseason what the Jaguars did to them week two, then I think that that you have to start wondering, is it over? And there are people out there who think that that Tom Brady will not finish his career with the Patriots. I know Tom Curran believes after next season, he'll be gone. Maybe after this season, he'll be gone. I have the Ian O'Connor book. It just showed up today. And it's kind of nice. This is one of the perks of the job because I was thinking about ordering it because sometimes I don't know if I'm going to get it or not. Most of the big books I get, and I've gotten a bunch of them that that uh, i got a I got a logjam of books i got to read, but the Belichick book just came. I'm looking forward to reading it and and looking for some clues about the relationship between Belichick and Brady, but I, I I don't know. I don't know. It's far closer to the end than the beginning, but I don't know how it's going to play out. And, and it's, it's another piece of intrigue and drama that makes this season even more fascinating bored to death what team in your opinion deserves more primetime games what team should have far fewer primetime games you could argue argue the Cowboys should have far fewer because they're just not a dynamic exciting team but they're the Cowboys and they deliver eyeballs I think the Jaguars should have more primetime games they're pissed about that and and it's a great development because on one hand you can be pissed about it because you can say they don't respect us on the other hand it's like you know what this is good it doesn't disrupt our schedule we got a lot of Sunday afternoon games coaches like that they like to have the same routine week in and week out players like that too PFTP and Posse do the record ratings for Thursday Night Football prove that people will still tune in and watch when the NFL puts something worthwhile and compelling on TV. Well, that's one of the factors. And it wasn't record last night. It was the highest Thursday Night NFL Network-only rating since 2015. So let's get that straight. It was like a 5-2. But that's a good rating for cable. Yeah, you give us a good game, you give us an exciting game, and people are going to watch. That's part of the challenge. And, and... As Tom G. Post points out, how ironic is it that that was a game between two 2017 bottom feeders? The key is, if you've got a good storyline, you you get that game early. Now, the problem is they do the schedule before the draft, but I think they had a sense that between the Jets and the Browns, maybe they'd have some new quarterbacks. Maybe it would be an interesting game. I I think if they had any idea how interesting it was going to be, it would have been a Fox game. I think that's their regret because broadcast TV generates a bigger rating. And I think last night's game would have done a big rating if it was available on Fox. You know, they do those NFL network only games just because they have to have a certain number of them to justify the subscription fee that they charge for NFL network. I think the NFL realizes, especially with the way that ratings have gone the past few years, I think you want more broadcast games. I I wouldn't be surprised if Monday Night Football goes back to ABC under the ESPN, ABC, Disney umbrella. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes back to ABC. Sergio D. has a great point. If the Mark Cuban-Dallas Mavericks situation had occurred with an NFL owner, it would have been a hundred times bigger story. Why is the NFL held held to a higher standard? The NFL's a bigger deal. I mean, you know, this is a prime example of why the NFL is bigger than basketball. And basketball should be happy about this. Scandals in basketball don't have the same consequence. I mean, maybe if this had been an NFL deal... Cuban would have had to sell. Now he wasn't directly involved, but I think he should be happy in this instance, why uh, the NFL is so much bigger than the NBA. Because I think if the NBA was as big as the the NFL, maybe the consequence would have been even bigger for Mark Cuban. Keep hitting the cough button. I don't know if you're hearing that. I'm hitting the cough button. I don't know what I have. I don't know if it's allergies, a little bit of cold or what, but uh, I apologize. Almost done. Mike likes dirt. If Brady retires this year, does Belichick go back to Cleveland and bring the Browns to Dynasty with Baker Mayfield? Obviously implies Hugh getting the boot. I, I I, can't see Belichick going back to Cleveland, but it is a different organization altogether. I don't know that Belichick would want to work um, with ownership there, given some of that. But you know what? Ownership recently has been, I don't know, they've, they've been far more supportive and they've been far less unpredictable than they've been in the past. Let me see what else we have here. Leapers 500, which 2-0 team could just as easily be 0-2? I nominate my own rooting interest, the Broncos. And again, great seasons do need a bit of luck at some point. And you're right. I, I think the Broncos easily could be 0-2. But here's what happens. You win games early, and you you start to snowball confidence. And you start to build this sense that teams and players buy in to coaches and systems and approaches. So, it's, hey, it's always better to win than lose. You take them when you can get them. And yeah, you're feeling good about yourself, and you try to stretch it to 3-0, although I think the Broncos are not going to make it to 3-0, given that they have the Ravens in Baltimore this week. Fittison Kane, how many wins will it take to save Hugh's job, or is he done for regardless? No, I don't think he's done regardless. No, 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 no. they got a tough stretch coming up. they got seven tough games. We'll see how he is going in the bye, but it could be that Baker Mayfield saves Hugh. You know, maybe John Dorsey didn't want to play Baker Mayfield Because he knew that if he played Baker Mayfield, it's going to delay Dorsey's effort to get a better coach. And that Mayfield is going to make Hugh look like a better coach. So could it be that Dorsey tells Hugh, we're sticking with our plan. We can't alter our plan. We got to put Tyrod back on the field and Hugh takes the heat for it. I don't think Hugh would let himself take the heat for it. He knows how politically to point the finger away from himself. But That's an intriguing point because I've said for months now, if they end up five and eleven, I would think that because of last year and the year before, I would think that a better coach would have them eight and eight. And if they end up eight and eight, a better coach would have them eleven and five. Jerry Bissett wants to know how many shows I appear on. I've got PFT Live on NBC Sports Radio, three hours daily, six to nine AM Eastern. And it's re aired on NBC Sports Radio, nine to twelve. The final two hours are simulcast on NBCSN. I've got weekly radio commitments. And I've cut down on those now that I have my own show. And now that I do, you know, I like doing them, but I've just cut down on them. I do, let's see, Monday I don't do any because travel gets in the way. Tuesday I do The Score in Chicago, the early morning show there. I do Paul Allen's show at KFN in Minneapolis. Wednesday, I do WFNZ in Charlotte, and then I do the score again, but it's the midday show, the the mid-morning to early afternoon show. I do WIP in Philadelphia Wednesday afternoons, although I moved it to Friday this week. I had something going on Wednesday, but WIP in Philly for the season. Thursday, what do I do? What do I do? I'm gonna be doing one oh six seven the fan in DC at least every other Thursday, maybe every Thursday. They carry the best of PFT Live and it's it's you know, it's a big station. I do KJR in Seattle every Tuesday night. How could I forget that one? Friday I do Joe Rose on WQAM in Miami and I think that's it. It used to have a lot more. And I like doing it because it you know, it, it it helped me get to a point where I could could talk extemporaneously and not feel like I don't know what the hell I'm going to be talking about. And you know, there's that barrier early on where it's like, well, what the hell am I going to say? And you got to get through that. And I did a lot of radio and that was the way we promoted the website in the early years too, because it was, I did a lot of unpaid spots early on because look, Hey, I'm getting free promotion for my website. And it's the best kind of ad because the people don't realize it's an ad. It's part of the content. They hear about profootballtalk.com. Maybe they'll go check it out. And I'd like to think it helped. Oh, and I'm also on Football Night in America. Forgot about that. A little show that you may have heard of that's on every Sunday night. Only the biggest, you know, studio sports show uh, in TV. Uh, and and then other than that, I think that's it. Oh, 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 I forgot one. Sunday mornings. See, aren't uh, You regret you asked the question here, Jerry. Sunday mornings, Sports USA Media, their NFL kickoff show. I do that 5-10 uh, minute thing from the hotel before we head over to the NBC Sports Group studio for the... Sunday marathon. All right. Mattichu, please stop saying that the Saints were surprised by the Browns. Sean Payton, uh, Payton-led Saints are now five and eight against the AFC North and have not performed nearly every time. The Ravens are the only team Breeze has yet to beat, furthering the point of their struggles against that division. It's They were still surprised by the Browns. I'll say whatever I want. They're surprised by the Browns. Whopper with cheese, how much will you pay for injury information 45 minutes before kickoff? Nothing. Nothing. And I bet you don't have it. Well, I, that's weird. I, pr- I probably should have skipped that one. I think that's it for today. That's all the questions. I answered them all. Thank you, as always, for your support of the podcast. Thank you for your support of profootballtalk.com. We are going to continue forward with the PFTPM podcast. I didn't want to alarm you early on, but it may not be five times a week. It may not be four times a week. But uh, we'll do the best that we can because during season it is demanding. I, I know. Well, I know. Poor you. But, but, you know, there's only so many hours in the day, and I do have to sleep. Even though my job is not a job, you do have to sleep at some point, and sometimes it is good to get away from everything and, you know, watch a TV show, spend time with your spouse, play with your dog, uh, play a little Madden. Although, you know, I'm less interested in Madden during the season because I'm, I'm like watching. Madden's a great game to play out a season because it's the only thing you're going to get that's even remotely close to football. I'm not as into it during the season. All right, that's it. I'm done rambling. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the games. We'll do something on Monday, most likely, and we'll be back, uh, you know, as many times as we can fit it in next week. Uh, Just just check the Twitter feed for the bat signal as to when it's time to ask questions and check profootballtalk.com around the clock for everything that you need to know at all hours of the day and night about the National Football League. Have a great weekend